uh, as I started to say before I forgot that I needed to bring Peggy up, we're going to take one Sunday sabbatical from our sermon series on our mission statement, and we'll come back to it next week. Uh, But this week, our Sunday off, I thought, uh, why not, after 23 years of preaching week in and week out, why not try a Mother's Day sermon? I have never in my life actually preached a a sermon about motherhood or what we're going to get to this morning on Mother's Day. And so I thought, why not give it a try? What could possibly go wrong? So we're going to be looking at Proverbs 9 this morning. Thankfully, the Lord has spoken uh, to us a lot about parenting Uh, whether it be moms or dads or grandparents or even parenting uh, as we see it as a community of believers. We just took responsibility for two of our children. Uh, There are 300 or so of those young ones in this congregation. And if you're a member of Green Tree, then you're a parent and uh, you are part of the, uh, the, the ministry that God's going to use to share Jesus with those children. So it's been an interesting week at at our house. It's been uh, a a little, not terrible, but it's been a little bit of a challenge. Cindy said to me, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, may have been Thursday, I don't know why I'm so grumpy this week. And now here's a little husband tip for you. If your wife says that, the thing not to say is, well, I could tell you, but, you know, I don't want to ruin the surprise, right? You, you don't acknowledge the grumpiness. You say, sweetie, of course you're not grumpy. Well, that's not really what I said. My answer was, I think you're sad. So Cindy is uh, employed at Kirkwood High School, and she and, uh, and Mike Wade, her, her boss, they take a class of kids all the way through. So they have ninth graders that go all the way through through their senior year. So she has the same students with her for four years, and she's become very attached to about 60 or 70 of these students. And they're graduating this week, and they're leaving her behind, and they're going off to wonderful things, and she's going to get a bunch of freshmen in about four months that are going to absolutely drive her crazy. She's just kind of worn out emotionally. And so I said, you know what? I, th- I think you should let yourself be sad. I think you should give yourself some permission to grieve because you're saying goodbye to some of these people that are very important to you. And all that points to is the fact that parenting, whether you're the actual parent or you're a person of, of great influence in a younger person's life, there's an emotional attachment there. It is, it, there's a love bond that's there and that comes at a cost. It comes at a price. And as we look at our hopes and our dreams for our children, As we look at what we want to pass on to them, there ought to be some emotion to that. If there isn't some emotion to that, then there's a disconnect that's very unhealthy. So whether I'm talking this morning to to brand new moms and dads or grandparents or empty nesters or somewhere in between or someone even outside of that, maybe you're, you're still one of the children in the family, there's a message here for us about God's desire that we embrace his wisdom in our lives. And so on Mother's Day, maybe it's a good time to pause and to consider what that should look like. Now, you've heard most of these words already. If you were here from the outset of the service, you've actually spoken some of them. We're going to go back. Everything that we have spoken this morning, whether it was in a prayer or a confession, comes straight out of Proverbs chapter 9. So this might be a bit of repetition, but that's good. Proverbs chapter 9, hear the word of God. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. 
Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling out to those who pass by, those who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks set, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day when we can, uh, we can celebrate uh, those who have loved us well, whether they be uh, our specific mom or, or someone else of influence. Lord, some of us, uh, our moms are here in this room with us, and, and we can uh, and should thank them. Some of them are living in different parts of the country, and some of them have, have passed on and are no longer with us. Father, I, I pray that uh, today you would speak your truth into our lives, whether it's a, a day of sadness because we're missing someone or a day of great joy because we're sitting right next to someone who loves us so dearly. Father, thank you that you know us. You know every need of our, of our heart and our life. And I pray that your word would teach us and would instruct us this morning. We thank you that you care enough about us, not just to save us, but to help us understand the pathway that leads to life. Uh, that what can happen from a relationship with you is life-giving to our souls. And conversely, Father, help us to see that there's another message out there that's competing for our allegiance that will ultimately kill us. Lord, help us see your glory and your grace and be drawn to your wisdom. Father, we come here to hear your word, not mine. Pray that you would teach us. Please forgive my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of your teaching today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so this passage introduces us to a woman named Wisdom and a woman named Folly, and it asks the question, which one are you going to listen to? What's the outcome? And so our sermon in a sentence hopefully is going to just simply follow that notion. Godly wisdom and folly compete for our children's hearts and minds. How will we influence the outcome? So if you're a child here this morning, you need to pay attention to this message out of Proverbs 9 because there are two folks trying to speak into your life and they're both seeking to get you to follow their instruction. If you're a mom and a dad, we need to be aware of, uh, of the competing messages that are out there and how do we speak uh, into our children's lives in a way that they can hear. And if we're grandparents or, or other folks that are part of the Green Tree community, again, we have a responsibility to share the gospel with all of our children. So there's something here for all of us. The way we're going to look at this passage is three observations. The first one is we're going to look at wisdom and see that wisdom is intentional. Now we're going to go to the other competing message, the message of folly, and we're going to see the exact same thing, that folly is also very intentional. And then our third observation will be to ask the question of outcome. What happens if you follow uh, wisdom and what happens if you uh, pursue folly? So wisdom and its intentionality. When Solomon uses the word 
wisdom. He is speaking of a life well lived. He's speaking of choices that are influenced by God and by faith in him that come down to very practical things like how we handle our money, how we handle our marriages, how we raise our children, how we go about the, the business side of our lives. And Solomon's, if Solomon calls you wise, it's the highest compliment that he can pay. So he says here that wisdom is very intentional. Look at verses one and two. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. Uh, that number seven in scripture is a, a number of completeness, of wholeness. So this is not like a little cottage off to the side. This is like a very nice home where, where folks would want to come and gather. It's very pleasing to the eye. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. No, she's expecting a lot of company. It's not just she's gone to the store and bought a couple of steaks. So it's going to be a big party. She has mixed her wine. The notion there is that she's actually added some family ingredients that she hadn't told anybody about that brings out a special kind of taste that's going to go perfect with the meat that she's serving. She's thinking about this. She's intentional. She has also set her table. Wisdom is creating a welcoming environment. Now, she's creating this through hard work and with a goal in mind. The goal in mind is that her home becomes a place where wisdom is feasted upon, where people can come and they can sit and they can dwell and they can learn the beauty and the glory that wisdom offers. Uh, side note number one to parents, be, if you have children that are in upper grade school, going into middle school, high school, be the house where all the kids want to hang out. Be the house where your children's friends want to come and, and spend time, right? Now, that may cost you a lot of money in pizza, and if you have a, a kind of an average job, you can do what I do. Drive Uber every once in a while. You can easily make 50 bucks a week. Get Domino's on sale. That'll buy at least a dozen pizzas, and you're good to go. But be a welcoming home and be intentional about it. Don't wring your hands and wonder, what would it take to get kids over to our house? Explore that. Test it out on your own children, but be a place that is welcoming. Wisdom is very intentional, has a goal in mind. I want folks to come over and have a feast. But not only is she intentional about setting the table and getting everything right, she also seeks out followers. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 says, she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places on the town. And then they begin to hear the message, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. She sends, she seeks out followers. She seeks out guests through an obvious invitation. Delightful young women are being sent out to offer a very pleasing invitation. They're very friendly. They're very pleasant. There are many men who have come to salvation following a young woman to church, right? So there's something here that is just, it just sounds right. People hear this message and they're like, I think we want to go there. I, I think we want to we hang out at that house and see what's going on over there. Um, there are a lot of people that are smart about this kind of thing, and the Girl Scouts of America is one of them. I, I don't know how much money I have spent over the years in buying Girl Scout cookies, right? Because the Girl Scout's dad doesn't come knock on your door and say, hey, you want to buy some cookies for my kid? That doesn't happen. What happens? The little Girl Scout shows up, and she's got these beautiful eyes, and she's smiling at you, and she says, hey, mister, you want to buy some Girl Scout cookies? And I'm like, I only have $150. How much will that get me? I mean, I just, I, I can't say no. She's so pleasant. She's so kind. She's so friendly, right? There, there's a method here. Wisdom is saying, I want to make it easy for you to come to my house, right? I want to give you a friendly invitation. I want to offer you a kind invitation. 
And the invitation ultimately is what? It's to offer life. Look at verses 4 through 6. To him who lacks sense, she says, come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and what? And live and walk in the way of insight. The, the offer here is life. Now, notice to whom she's speaking, right? She's talking to the simple, right? Leave your simple ways and live. To him who lacks sense, she says. Now, you might feel a little bit insulted by that. You might say, is wisdom saying that I'm a simpleton or, or that I lack sense? When Solomon uses this language, he's talking about a very, a very specific group of people. He's bringing the message down to one group of people, and those are the young people right? Being simple, all Solomon is saying is you haven't had all of life's experience yet. There, you're still just a, a little bit naive. There are things that you, you're, you're unaware of, and that's okay. But it's not because you're foolish or you're slow or anything at all like that. It's just that you're young. So Solomon is not insulting. He's saying, I have a target audience in mind. Wisdom wants to start early. Wisdom wants to get its foot in the door, get its message out there to our youngest children. So for those who, who maybe are simple, to the young, what's the invitation? Come on in. Come on in and have a seat. How about we sit down at the table? How about you linger here for a while? And you know what? How about you come back tomorrow? And how about you come back the next day? And actually the next day, how about we take a walk together, right? Walk in the way of insight. Simp, uh, wisdom is seeking to build a relationship, to give every opportunity possible for the young person to say, you know what? I think I want to go that direction. But it comes at a sacrifice, does it not? Wisdom has been working hard. Wisdom is trying to leave no stone unturned. She's been investing. She's been planning. She's been putting forth an effort. She, she has a commitment to pursue those who need what she has to offer. And probably every person in this room can think of someone who's had that kind of influence on their life. It, maybe it's your mom, or maybe it was a grandmother, maybe it was an aunt, maybe it was a coach, a teacher, but, but, but there was someone in your life that has, has offered this to you, and you are better off for it. I'm going to give you uh, uh, the freedom to ignore me for the next two minutes. I'll, I'm going to keep talking, but you have my permission, because if that's your mom, if that describes your mother, and she's still alive, and she knows how to text on a phone, you, I want you to get your phone out right this minute, and I want you to send your mother a text and just say thank you. And the preacher told me I could ignore him for the next two minutes, okay? And I'm, and I'm not, get your phone out and send him a text. If they're sitting next to you, reach over and give him a hug, okay? And just say, thank you, right? Because there's a lot of effort and a lot of energy. Good, I'm glad to see people taking advantage of this. The, the 9.30 guys and the 8 o'clock kind of sat there and looked at me. I had to kind of keep pressing a little bit, all right? It's a lot of hard work, but, but look at what's being offered, Look at, look at the opportunity here. But you know what? There's somebody else speaking, and, and, they're, and they're trying to be every bit as influential, and, and they're trying to sway our children to go in a different direction, and this is the woman folly. And when Solomon uses the word folly, if wisdom is a life well-lived, folly is exactly the opposite. Folly means you have wasted your life. It's come to nothing but ruin. And yet folly is also very intentional. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive. And then Solomon adds this little, uh, adds this little editorial comment and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town. Notice some of the similarities between folly and wisdom. She's hard to ignore. Why? Because she's loud. 
don't know how many times growing up my mom would say to me, use your inside voice because I'm a loud guy. I can, I can make you know, a whole lot of noise. I'm talking to Katie on the phone and she's like, dad, you don't have to shout to the phone. Like, but you're all the way in Hawaii. Are you sure you can hear me? Right? Dad, technology doesn't quite work that way, and you're hurting my eardrum, right? My mom would say, use your inside voice. I'd be like, but we're at the pool. She's like, I know, but you're still too loud. Folly is in your face. You're not going to be able to pass by her and not hear her message. It's out there, right? Second free bit of advice to parents. Listen to what your children are listening to. Play, play the games your children. What's the big game right now? Fortnite? Isn't that the, isn't that the, the big game going on right now? Right? Sit down with your, thank you. Sit down with, I got a thumbs up. Sit down with your kid and play Fortnite. Learn about it. Spend time with them listening and talking, inviting them because it's out there. The message is, they're going to get bombarded with it. We're going to see this in just a minute. It's everywhere. We can't sit idly by and assume they're not going to hear Folly because she is loud, but also she is enticing. Look at that. She is seductive. She makes herself look desirable. She makes herself look like something that you absolutely have to have. I'm going to uh, read for you a brief definition out of a report that came out in 2016 by the American College of Pediatricians. And I know we have younger ears and older ears in the, in the congregation this morning. I, I want to be sensitive to that, but I think this is important and I trust you as parents to, to kind of help work through all that. Listen to their definition of pornography. This is not the Bible's definition. Just listen to what the American College of Pediatricians says. It's the depiction of erotic behavior that is intended to cause sexual excitement in the viewer. The depiction of erotic behavior that is intended to cause sexual excitement in the viewer. The woman folly is seductive. Her intention is to look wonderful and look so desirable that you simply cannot say no. But notice also that she wants to make it all look so easy, right? She sits at the door of her house. She hasn't rolled up her sleeves and gotten to work. She, she hadn't been mopping the floor and, and, and cleaning up and, and getting the, the, the dinner ready. She hasn't been, you know, making her favorite recipe. She hasn't been working hard because she knows guests are coming. She simply sits there and says, let life come to you. It's all about you. Just, just come sit at my door with me. We'll have a grand time. It will be wonderful. She makes life seem like it's all about me. And I don't have to worry about anyone else. And I don't have to worry about any pleasure other than my own. And notice the folks to whom she's speaking as well. Verse 15 through 17. Calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She's talking to the simple She's talking to the one who lacks sense. She's talking to the young people, right? Why is she talking to the young people? Because if you've been around the block a few times, you know that this is nothing but a, but a fictitious offer that is not true. If, if you're a wise person, if you have some season in your life, if you're a little bit older, if maybe you've had some difficult experiences growing up and you've learned from them, you're not going to listen to this message. But to those who have no experience, to those who, who, who are not used to being able to kind of figure out between what's too, you know, too good to be true and what's, what's actually good for me, what's helpful and actually what's harmful because the thing that's harmful looks great. They're not quite ready to discern that. So she's going after the easiest ones, right? You go after the smallest one in the herd. If we don't think that the world is coming after our children with a destructive message, we are completely out of touch with reality. 
This woman folly makes it look easy and she's targeting children and she's offering what? She's offering shortcuts and secrets. She's offering shortcuts and secrets. I think about all the dumb things I've done in my life, which, which are way too many to mention here this morning. But I think of the, the, the things that I actually thought about ahead of time and I, and I went ahead and did. Not mistakes I've made, but really bad choices I've made. I didn't stand up on the street corner and announce those before I did those. I remember when we we swiped our our first couple of cigarettes in fifth grade from my buddy Bill Wood from his dad's pack of Salem's. We didn't then go and sit in my front yard and smoke them and say hi to mom and dad as they drove up the driveway, right? We went in the backyard and we hid behind the trees and we we didn't want anybody to see any puffs of smoke, right? Why? Because it looked enticing. We knew it probably was wrong. Think about the times in middle school or high school when I, when, I, when I cheated on a test. And you know what I had to do before I cheated on a test? I had to practice keeping my head perfectly still, apparently looking down at my paper, but then having my eyes move, but not in my head. Or, oh, I dropped my pencil. Okay, that's a B, and that was a C. And a, right? you, had to, you had to be sneaky about it. Why? Because you didn't want to get caught, right? Why? Because in your heart, you knew it was wrong, but it looked so good you couldn't resist. One of our favorite pastimes in college in my, in my dorm was pulling the alarm, fire alarm at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? You didn't stand up in the cafeteria the, the afternoon before that and say, just well, everybody know I'm pulling the fire alarm. 2 a.m., everybody be ready to go. No, you did in secret. Why? Because if you got caught, you got in trouble. It seemed like a lot of fun, but it actually was harmful. The notion here is that she's offering something that is a shortcut, and, and a secret is a better thing. Bread eating in secret is pleasant when actually it's simply is not true. Wisdom intentional, but is intentional, but folly is every bit as intentional. What are our potential outcomes? Which way can this go? Well, let's talk about if we reject wisdom. What does Solomon say about that? Verse 7, verse 8, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Now, I mentioned that Solomon was not being insulting when he used the term someone lacks sense or, or someone simple, because that just means you're young. Now Solomon is picking his words very wisely and very carefully, and he intends them to be insulting. He intends them to bore in on someone, because if Solomon calls you a scoffer, or if Solomon calls you a wicked person, it's about the biggest insult he can give you. He basically says you're living for yourself and nobody else. You're on a self-destructive path. You're bad for your community. You're bad for everybody around you. And we don't want to be around you because all you're going to do is bring harm to the rest of us. And Solomon warns us, don't, don't bother, in a sense, with the scoffer, right? Because you're going to set yourself up for abuse. Don't, don't try to change the wicked man because he could incur injury. Now, this is not saying don't share the gospel with people. It's talking about passing on godly wisdom. And it's saying, you know, if you, if you have an audience that is a little bit older and, and they're not, these are not folks that are young anymore, right? Scoffers and evil people are folks that have grown up and should know better. Be careful how you use your time with them because it may actually come back to hurt you. The scoffer and the wicked, they're two of the Proverbs' most derogatory titles, unteachable, intent on harm, self-absorbed and irreligious. They want nothing to do with God. They're a danger, as we said, to themselves, to their family, to their community, and to society. Rejecting wisdom comes at a very steep price, but that's not the worst price of all. Look at verse 18. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Solomon is speaking there of a life that has been completely and utterly ruined. I'm going to read a couple more 
paragraphs or a couple paragraphs out of this uh, report from the American College of Pediatricians. Again, I, I, I've, I've edited a bit, but I think it, it bears uh, hearing this morning uh, because of the destructive power of this sin. In a 2011 survey, 31% of adolescent boys admitted visiting websites that were intended as adult only. What that says, that first sentence is actually saying, is that 69% of adolescents lied about that question. And I don't say that to be flippant. It, it's just that pervasive. It, it's literally almost impossible to, uh, to not be exposed to it. A large survey of American young people revealed that 51% of males and 32% of females claimed to have viewed pornography for the first time before they were 13 years old. Similar findings were recorded in a 2009 study of the Journal of Adolescent Health, which found that 85% of adolescent males and 50% of adolescent females have been exposed to pornographic material. The largest, I'm going to go down the side road for a second, the largest growing segment of our population that is being exposed and, and, and is giving in and looking at pornography is women between the ages of 15 and 25. Pornography exposure at these young ages often results in anxiety for the child. Children also report feelings of disgust, shock, embarrassment, anger, fear, sadness after viewing pornography. These children can suffer all the symptoms of anxiety and depression. They may become obsessed with acting out adult sexual acts that they have seen, and this can be very disruptive and disturbing to the child and their peers who witness or are victimized by this behavior. Children under 12 years of age who have viewed pornography are statistically more likely to sexually assault one of their peers. In some, children exposed to pornographic material are at risk for a broad range of maladaptive behaviors and uh, psychopathology. He does not know that the dead are there, that her, death, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. I believe that there is a hell after this world for those who refuse to accept the grace and the mercy of God. But I also believe that you can create some of that hell right here on this planet. And there are those who are trying to take our children to that place. And we must understand that rejecting godly wisdom isn't neutral. It doesn't just kind of sit there and it'll all maybe bounce out and be okay in the end. To reject godly wisdom leads to destruction. There's another opportunity, and there's an opportunity to accept wisdom. Look at verse 8 and verse 9. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach right the righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So now here are the complementary terms that Solomon uses. He, he talks about a wise person. He talks about a righteous person. And if Solomon uses that terminology with you, he's offering you a compliment. And he's saying that, that those who, who have been put on this pathway are going to go in a very good direction. They, they have a teachable spirit. Here, here's an, uh, another free one. Help your children be teachable. Think about what that means. In order to be teachable, if you think about the people who have most greatly influenced your life in the classroom, there was something about them that compelled you to listen. There's something about their personality. There was something about their care in you. There was something about their, their love for you that made you want to hear what they had to say. That's what, what we should be doing as moms and dads, is loving our children in a way that gives them a teachable spirit. If I say of my children, I don't think they have a teachable spirit, I have to look in the mirror to wonder how that process got started. But also accepting wisdom is not just having a teachable spirit, but fundamentally it's a deep and abiding faith that lasts a lifetime and beyond. Look at verses 10 
and 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me, your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. What Solomon is saying there is that fundamentally our faith is what this is all about. Sure, I, I want to teach my children how to be responsible with their money. Absolutely, I want to teach my children how to have a, a good work ethic. And those things can be found in Scripture too. But, but the ultimate thing I can give my children is a love for the God who has loved them from all eternity past to all eternity future. The very best gift that I can give my children is pointing them to a relationship with the one who hung on the cross and died for them so that they could have life. And so Proverbs, looking forward to Jesus coming, didn't know the name Jesus, but looking forward, saying that, you know what, the fear of the Lord, that's where it begins. Knowledge of the Holy One, a relationship with the Holy One, is what gives us wisdom. And ultimately, Solomon says, the choice is up to us. Verse 12 If you're wise, you're wise for yourself. Other people can benefit from your wisdom. If you do something wise today, it might impact someone else positively, but the person who's most impacted in the best way is you. To live a wise life helps you the most. Conversely, if you scoff, you alone will bear it. So there it is. The choice is before you as young people. Which way are you going to choose day in and day out of your life? But the application really is for all of us because this congregation is committing to have an influence on our children towards godly wisdom. So let's just for a moment, I know I'm running long, but, but hang with me for just a couple more moments. How we teach is crucial. How we lead our children into wisdom, whether we're moms, dads, grandparents, or our Green Tree members is absolutely, is absolutely vital. And there's so much bad news out there about students right now, isn't there? The, the next generation, it seems like that the, they're struggling so deeply. And sometimes you feel like, you know, gosh, is it really worth it? Well, Friday night, we had the opportunity here at Green Tree to host the Kirkwood High School's baccalaureate service. And uh, we were uh, offered to do it, and they accepted our offer. So we got together and began to plan and think about how to put a service together. And uh, Cindy, my, my wife, had talked to some of her students about being involved, and Peggy Dimitri got those guys organized. And what came out of that was the students saying to us, you know what, we got this. We, we can plan it. We can pull it off. We, we've got some musical ability. We've got some folks who can pray. We've got some folks who can read the scripture. We've got a couple people that will share their stories with us. And literally the only thing I did for this worship service was I, I stood up and I welcomed everybody. And I recruited the person who spoke, who did the little 15-minute address. Everything else was led by graduating seniors. I'm going to show you a picture of the, the kind of the, the team that led it is on the screen there behind me, right? That's the group that, that, that took a part and made it all happen. It was like an hour and five minute service, and it was glorious. Look what's on the screen behind them. What is that? What's, what, what's the word for what's on the screen behind them? The doxology. Who does the doxology give praise to? Who? And who's leading the service? Our students, right? Guess what? There's a lot of hope. God is at work. In a lot, and I, I call them children. They're not children anymore. But God is at work in their lives. A lot of that is because of the faithfulness of the people in this congregation, saying we're, we're going to point our children towards godly wisdom. And that leads me to just a couple thoughts we're going to wrap up. The first is this, that if we're going to do this, we've got to be intentional and we've got to be strategic. If, if we want to see our children excel in godly wisdom, we have to plan, we have to think, we have to, we have to be assertive about how we want to approach that. Winston Churchill said, for every minute of a speech I give... I spend an hour in preparation. 
So I looked at my sermon preparation this week. You think this sermon is long, you should try preparing it, right? I'm not like Churchill. I don't take an hour for every minute. I take about 20 minutes for every minute that I, that I speak. It takes a lot of work to pass on godly wisdom, and it's got to be thoughtful, and it's got to be intentional. It's got to be spoken in a way that our children can hear it and understand it and embrace it. Secondly, godly wisdom must be inviting we have to ask our, ourselves the question whether we're the parents or, or the folks that are helping the parents. Is our message filled with grace and filled with love? Paul says to parents in Ephesians, don't cause your children to get angry. Don't, don't interact with them in a way that, that leads them, that provokes them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And that notion there is that, that God loves us so much that he's not going to just save us, but he's going to give us instruction for how to follow him. And all he's saying is that love that, that God's given to you, pass it on to someone else. Does my parenting reflect the love that I've experienced in him? And then lastly, godly wisdom is at the center of all of this training, right? Verse 10 says that very clearly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So it's not like adding a little bit of salt or pepper or Tabasco sauce to your favorite omelet, right? The Word of God is the omelet. It's the whole meal. We have to make sure that we are sharing with our children in a way that invites them into a serious, thoughtful, intellectual, emotional, spiritual relationship with the God of the universe. And to do less is to bring and invite harm. I'm going to read for you a little story that a friend of mine sent to me. And I, I debated whether I wanted to end the sermon with this or not, because it's uh, a little bit edgy, and I might tick you off. But if I do, understand that I'm trying to love you well, and I feel like if you love people well, you should always try to speak the truth. So this is a story that speaks to the point of understanding that, that godliness is at the center and not something we just kind of throw in as an extra. Fullerton, California. Local father Trevor Mickelson, 48, and his wife Carrie, 45, are reeling after discovering that after 12 years of steadily taking their daughter Janie to church every Sunday, they did not have a more pressing sports commitment, which was at least once every three months, she no longer demonstrates the strong quarterly commitment to the faith they raised her with, now that she's college-aged. Trevor Mickelson was simply stunned at the revelation. I just don't understand it. Almost every single time there was a rained out game or a break between school and club team seasons, we had Janie in church. That was at least once per quarter. And aside from the one tournament in 2011, we never missed Easter. It was obviously a priority in our family. I just don't get where her spiritual apathy is coming from. I can't figure, I can't tell you how often we prayed the prayer of Jabez on our way to the game, added Janie's mother. You know, the more I think about it, the more this illustrates how the church just keeps failing this generation, lamented Trevor, citing a recently Googled study by Barna or someone. The Mickelsons further noted plans to have a chat with the pastor of their church after their younger son, after their younger son Robert's soccer season calms down a bit. Makes you a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? Because it hits awfully close to the truth. The point of this is not that you make sure your kids are in church every Sunday. The point is that we understand what's going on here, that the consequences are profound, and that godly wisdom is at the core of all of this. It starts with that. It ends with that. It's in between. Whether I'm teaching my children about money or about sex or about marriage or about balancing their study life, it all starts with the Word of God. 
Wisdom is intentional. Folly is intentional. Which one our children chooses, choose ultimately comes down to how well they hear the message and see the message lived out in our lives. Proverbs is clear. Ultimately, it's on you what you choose. But Green Tree Community Church, may it never be said that we didn't love our children well in godly wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning again for the opportunity to celebrate our moms today. Lord, I thank you that so many people in this room represent this passage of Scripture. They have, they have mothers or, or dads or aunts or maybe a whole host of people who have given them the gift of your word and a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ by introducing them and bringing them to godly wisdom. Father, we pray that you would allow us to be faithful in our generation as we seek to raise the next generation in faith and the hope in you, the one who died on the cross for them. So Lord Jesus, help us love our children well. We pray in your name. Amen.